Hello, and welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast that explores compelling ideas and some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Brittany. And I'm Chris. And this week we are continuing with our Mockingjay read-through, exploring chapter 22. Which we wish we could skip. (laughs) Yes, we wish we could skip. We are back. Uh, I clearly had some delusions of grandeur when I was like, yeah, we're still planning to have an episode come out every week in (laughs) January. And, you know, packing and moving and everything took a lot more time than I had hoped. Yes. Is taking more time. (laughs) Yeah, we're we're not done unpacking yet. (laughs) So we are currently in a closet with boxes all around us. Yeah, our new podcast studio. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Cozy. But yes, it's it's been a lot, but thanks for waiting for us to come back and hopefully we will be more regular from here on out. You know, it's been very stressful, but it's also yeah, a big relief because financially it was not tenable for me anymore to mm-hmm. stay where we were. So, um yes. So Going from a positive thing, let's go into the recap, which is a negative thing. Yes. So Katniss realizes that the sound of her whispered name all around means that the Capitol knows that she's alive and has sent mutts after her, and she almost shoots Peta when she hears him whispering along with them. However, he wakes up to warn her that she is in danger, which halts her attack, and the rest of the unit refuses to split up. They arm the film crew and begin running away, hearing the dying cries of Avoxes and the whispering growing closer as they move. Katniss gags from the smell of roses coming off the mutts, another terrorizing tool of snows, and as the squad moves into the transfer, they face more pods, with one killing Masala and another slowing them down. A squad of peacekeepers catch up with them, but before the Star Squad can kill them all, the mutts finish the peacekeepers off. The white humanoid lizard creatures scream Katniss's name as they pursue and Jackson and Lee Guan sacrifice themselves to try and hold them off. The unit tries to make a stand, but Katniss becomes overwhelmed by the scent of roses and blood, and is forced onto an escape ladder out of the underground. She sees that only Pollux, Cressida, Peta, and injured Gale and herself made it out. She looks down, and mentally connects with Finnick as he is killed by the mutts. She then activates the self-destruct, and throws down the hollow to wipe out whatever is left below. In the relative safety of the surface tunnel, Peta breaks down, and in Katniss's fury at Snow for taking so much from her, she kisses Peta and asks him to stay with her, helping to calm him down. They climb up into a capital apartment, where Katniss kills the resident inside without any hesitation. Yeah, that's why we wish we could skip chapter 22. Yeah. This is the chapter I've been dreading since we started the read-through back however many months ago. A year ago? Basically. Yeah. And it's always hanging over my head like a (laughs) cloud. (laughs) But it's made us treasure our time with Finnick all the more. Uh, well, this chapter's here, so let's let's talk about it. Um, What do you have for your striking moments? Yeah, one that I thought was interesting was when they're discussing whether the unit should split up or not, mm-hmm. and Katniss should go alone. The unit's all saying, you know, that they're going to stay with her, but so does the crew. And Cressida mm-hmm. says, we're your crew. And that just really kind of shows how meaningful that position must be for Cressida and the others, mm-hmm. that they 
see themselves as part of Katniss's team, even if they aren't soldiers at this point, they don't even have weapons yet. But we're not leaving you because we're your crew. Like, for someone who that is their job, I think it's just such a meaningful moment from Cressida. Yeah, it kind of struck me, I think, in particular because of the ways that we've been paying more attention to her and the crew throughout Mm -hmm. our conversations. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, she was fully aware that this mission was not a real mission Mm -hmm. to assassinate Snow. Yet, yeah, they've, they've decided to stick with Katniss. And my assumption would be that that's because if there's anything they can do to help her survive, they want to do it. Mm-hmm. Maybe to some degree, like Boggs, they they would think like she's earned it. She should get to survive because of everything she's done for everyone in yeah. the districts and and, and everything's been done to her. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, while still being so young. Mm-hmm. I also appreciated that even in this really awful time and and this scary situation where Katniss is hearing, you know, Mutt's whisper her name and everything, that she still has some of her good biting humor when she says about PETA, anyone whispering my name with a bunch of Mutt's doesn't need a weapon anyway. Yeah, it's true. (laughs) Which, uh, yeah, it's just like, it's such a Katniss line that is another example of, of her real sense of humor that she has in the books that, Mm -hmm. uh, is one of the reasons that reading with her as a narrator makes her so charming. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The other thing that, that struck me from this chapter was just the speed at which people start dying. Absolutely. You know, Masala gets killed by a pod, essentially, automatically. And then a page or two later, Jackson and Lee Guan die off page. It's reported that they chose to stay behind. They don't even have that conversation with Katniss. And then... Castor and Holmes aren't even mentioned by name as being dead. Mm-hmm. Only the survivors are named. And Finnick, obviously, we see his death, but we don't see theirs. We don't even have Katniss identify them mm-hmm. because there's just so much death and so much going on. And yeah, it's just, I think, a another kind of narrative choice to highlight the chaos of what it would be like to experience this and the kind of overwhelmingness about that. I think on my maybe my first read, it felt more impersonal or mm-hmm. more rushed or more, yeah, just, you know, that I wanted to spend more time with these characters in their deaths. I wanted them to be seeming like they are more meaningful or have a moment to them. And that's not what happens in war. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, I think that this kind of slower read-through really made me think about all of these deaths in a different perspective. Yeah, I mean, it makes complete sense that in a situation like this, you wouldn't even be able to think, wait, who who else is not here? You know, like, it's yeah. just, there's so much happening, and there's just so much your brain is trying to process. People at awards ceremonies forget people that they intended to thank just because of you know what's going on and like this is not like that at all and it's a billion times worse so yeah it 
it makes a lot of sense. And yeah, I think that that is good writing. It's it's painful writing mm-hmm. because you don't let Finnick have his last words. You know, you don't have that time, that space for the readers to process what's happening. Yeah. Which was really <laughs> awful. I can't remember if I if I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but which is really awful when I read it for the first time because I had been reading before getting picked up to go somewhere. I don't even remember where because clearly it wasn't as important as what was going on <laughs> in the book. But I had left off literally on the page where Finnick dies, but a little further up. And so... At that point, the only people I knew had died were Masala, Jackson, and League One. And then I went to whatever, wherever I was. And then I came back, I opened to the page and started reading. And there's like no time before I just jumped in to Finnick dies. And like, I couldn't even really process what happened. Wow. I was like, wait, wh- what? And I had to like go back a page and like read more because I was just so disoriented for what was happening Mm -hmm. because it all happened so fast you know yeah it was terrible Mm -hmm. (laughs) would not recommend that but you don't know who's gonna die before you leave off reading but yeah i i appreciated how it is realistic that these things are so quick Mm -hmm. and people die instantaneously you know most people don't get last words like, I mean, they obviously had last words or, you know, last communication in some way, but most of the time, loved ones wouldn't know what those were. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I, I appreciate it, even if it's so sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, I mean, that was actually my last striking moment is how Katniss at least has that moment of connection with Finnick. Mm-hmm. when she, like, feels transported into his mind and into having a kind of life-flashing-before-your-eyes moment with him. And, you know, we, we've talked a lot about how she uses her imagination. Mm-hmm. And here, I think it, it is powerful to see her share his last moments with him and to have her empathize so deeply with his ups and his downs and then his what it means for him to lose his life um mm-hmm. with all the things that have happened to him um yeah it's just a a really brief but powerful moment yeah i mean collins had to give us something yeah true <laughs> and probably she had to give herself something mm-hmm. too yeah he couldn't have died off page mm-hmm. yeah that would have been that would have been too much, even even for her. <laughs> she already is gonna kill him. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. What about you? What are your striking moments? Yeah, one of mine is just that every one of the soldiers from Thirteen died. Mm. Because we we don't get to know them well. Mm-hmm. We obviously knew Boggs the best, and then Jackson second, and then League One and Two and Holmes. We didn't really know yeah. that well. But it's still, I don't know, it's just like, 
interesting. Yeah, the only people who make it are two people from the Capitol and three people from District 12. Mm-hmm. And then another striking moment was when PETA starts kind of in his sleep whispering Katniss and then like wakes up and the first thing he says is get out of here like Mm -hmm. you have to go and it was just kind of pulling me back to the first Hunger Games that Katniss and Mm -hmm. Kato were in when he was yelling for her to leave when Kato was coming to kill her after the tracker jacker attack Yeah, it was also a situation where she didn't know if she could trust him was he safe you know and it's not the same situation but it's another situation where things between them are shaky at best Mm -hmm. and yet he's coming through in a time where her life is in so much danger um to to help which yeah it was just it was just reminding me of that moment and i wonder if even for her, it would kind of bring her back to that that moment. Yeah, yeah. I didn't make that connection myself, but that's so true. And that is one of the kind of big twists of the first book is, mm-hmm. was that real? Did she imagine that? What did that mean? Discovering his feelings for her and being able to root for them together is something that on your first read through, you know, is... is a question mark. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so to call back to that is, yeah, really, really interesting. The last thing I was thinking about is that Katniss offered three different times for them to split up. Mm-hmm. One time was in a previous chapter after Boggs had died. And then there were two times in this chapter when they were leaving the little, where they were resting temporarily, she said that they could split up. And then again, that she could lead the mutts away when they couldn't take their, like the path that they were planning to take. Yeah. And she could give Jackson the hollow. And yes, I don't think that the whole thing is necessarily the right decision from an ethical standpoint for her to lie about this mission and be allowing other people to risk their lives for her revenge. Yeah. But even within that, she is still constantly thinking of other people mm-hmm. and not just being terrified of these mutts and wanting whoever is there to, you know, help her. She's willing to literally lead them away and die so that they can leave. And knowing that she might not die by those months, but by not having the hollow, she might die via some other pod. That would be a sacrifice for anyone, but Mm -hmm. especially for someone in the games who has lived firsthand the horrors of mutts and what they can do to you. Yeah. Um, to not know what's coming at you or to not know if you're going to die by just a different one, like the flushing rats. Yeah, she, even in these circumstances, stops to encourage others to leave her yeah. so that they can hopefully survive. You know, I don't, who knows what would have happened if, if they had mm-hmm. left. You know, she would have probably died. And I don't know if they would have lived or not. 
Yeah. That actually makes me think about one of my, from another point of views. Mm. Okay, let's go there. Because I was already thinking about PETA and what PETA was going through Mm -hmm. here. Because I was just thinking about how much PETA would be going through at this point and how much he doesn't want to become like those mutts and he has this breakdown because of it mm-hmm. and all of the ways that he sees himself as a monster and he's now seen people killed by monsters in these vicious ways and he's seen how he still has his own uncontrollable ways of of going along with them of whispering with them and, and things like that and i can just imagine how much he he probably hates uh, at the end that he's still alive while others have died but it was also making me think about how he reacted to the kiss that katniss gave him because it's like the hair touching we talked about last episode where it's a act of love and affection and vulnerability on Katniss's part of inviting him into this intimate embrace for someone who hates their own life and is so afraid of themselves to have the person who they're most a danger to be vulnerable with them. Mm-hmm. I can just really imagine that being, yeah, just so powerful to him. Uh, I think a, a few episodes ago, I one of my takeaways was to think about how Peter was experiencing things, but especially how any kind of romantic feelings might start start up again. Mm-hmm. And this is the first kind of romantic gesture, even though Katniss doesn't entirely mean it that way. But I can imagine for Peta, someone who has been so unsure of himself and his past and his feelings for Katniss, how that moment would be surprising more than romantic, but it would also be meaningful in a way that stays with him and maybe affects him in the future. Mm. But the thing that came to my mind while you were talking was also how she asks him to stay with her. Mm-hmm. And this is after three times she's asked everyone, she's told everyone else that they can go, that they don't have to stay with her. They shouldn't put themselves in danger for her. And in contrast, here she's saying what she wants, the selfishness of what she wants mm-hmm. is him to stay with her. And that's powerful for her, too. Because that is a kind of vulnerability. It's, it's an emotional vulnerability as well. And so that moment, I think, is not only important for all the things that she details about how all of these things are choices that Snow has forced on her and how she doesn't want Peta to die because of the things that Snow has done and the choices that he's tried to make for them. That kind of was my major read through before even hearing you talk right now because Mm. yeah just for Katniss to to ask him to stay with her is uh powerful yeah that's that's really interesting I wasn't thinking about that at the same time that Katniss is so willing to lose her own life so that others can hopefully survive this she's unwilling to lose PETA yeah She's unwilling to leave him, even when she asks others to leave her. Yeah, that is that is really important. Yeah. And funnily enough, the other point of view I was thinking of is Snow's. Oh, joy. 
Let's talk about the person orchestrating all of this. Yeah. I don't despise him at all. Because Snow made that choice to program that into PETA. Mm-hmm. To make it so that if there are other mutts in the area, they would not only yell Katniss's name, but PETA would do so alongside. And it just makes me, yeah, think, is is he was he envisioning this as a possibility that they would come into the capital, that they would have this kind of military engagement in ways that they would be around mutts like this? Or would it be an attack against them? You know, just thinking through what his plans were when that originally happened. And then once it did become clear that the capital was going to be attacked, the fact that not only was there whispering going on, but the weaponization of the smell of roses mm-hmm. being so targeted at Katniss, like, it made me realize that she and Finnick were absolutely right to envision the capital as the arena again, mm-hmm. because that's how Snow saw it. Snow was thinking about how to utilize mutts and these pods in ways that would most terrorize Katniss. And even if he can't see it live, give him entertainment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Ugh, he's such a petty, disgusting man. Yeah. So yeah, thinking through the best and worst of the characters. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but what were your perspectives that you wanted to talk about? So there were two main ones I was thinking about. One was Cressida. Mm. And what it would be like for her watching and in the aftermath of watching Masala melt mm-hmm. in front of her. We know how it affected Katniss, and it seems like all of them, to the point where Peta had to literally push her along and, like, tell everyone, like, we can't help him. We have to go. Yeah. Because all of them were just so horrified. But for Cressida, and as well as Castor and Pollux, this was someone she knew well. Yeah. This was her colleague, her teammate, her friend, someone that she came all the way from the capital, putting their lives at risk to join in this revolution. And, you know, who knows? Maybe she got him involved. We don't know. Yeah. She she seems like the leader of her team because she is the director, right? So it's like so much is happening. So obviously there would be the mind-boggling part of just the utter shock of what just happened. Yeah. And there's also still the scared for your lives because these monsters are coming after you. But also, you know, she's she's such a sensitive and emotionally intelligent person as they're running, as they're going up the ladder, as the lid, you know, is closed and all of the mutts have been exploded you know like i'm just wondering if there's anything else going on in the background of her mind you know mm-hmm. um if she's distraught about his suffering the, the pain he might have gone through in that process of such a horrific death and if she thought about the rest of the crew mm-hmm. that's with her or his friends or family members like me. Who knows? Maybe she even knew some of them or she's heard stories about them, things like that. Does she have any doubts about 
following Katniss now that she's seen what continuing on with Katniss means. Mm -hmm. uh, The type of death that she could have herself or other members of her team. And then obviously Castor dies as well. And so it's only her and Pollux left. Of the four of them, you know, it's, it's one thing to intellectually say yes i will die for this cause Mm -hmm. and my friends here will die for this cause and it's another thing to see it happen in front of you and there's no way you can be ready for it yeah and uh, in in general but also for these twisted deaths that are not the type that you normally think of in war zones, you know? Not, mm-hmm. not that they're ever okay, but, like, freezing someone and melting them. You know, like, this is a different sort of evil. So, yeah, I was just thinking about her and how she must feel being the director and not having time to process when she's so often seems to be understanding what some people are struggling with and what they might need in a given situation and Mm -hmm. there's nothing to give yeah i i've really enjoyed getting to think through Cress's perspective a lot in this read through until now yeah i mean i'm i'm intrigued oh, like I'm, yeah. I'm enjoying it in the intellectual pursuit and things like that knowing they're but, fictional characters yeah but obviously it is awful mm-hmm. uh, but that's the thing is that feeling like i appreciate and like cressida that much more makes me take masala's death more importantly mm-hmm. because you know we didn't really get to know masala that well but all the things that we've learned about Cressida and what she's been doing makes it so that, that, yeah, that impact becomes more obvious. Yeah. And then another one I hadn't really... Okay, so I said I had two, but there's another one that while you were talking about PETA popped into my mind, so I'm just adding a third. Cause... Happy to be inspiration to mm-hmm. you. Well, now I'm thinking about the perspectives of the mutts. Mm-hmm. Because if we're thinking about PETA being programmed to do this and the conflict that he has with that, well, we don't know what these creatures were. Yeah. How long they've been alive before they were programmed to do this. If they underwent some similar process of hijacking, but like with you know, showing things on a screen and then injecting them with venom. You know, who knows? It's it's possible and they're getting injured, they're getting killed, and they still are keep going, you mm-hmm. know. Um it's hard to have <laughs> too much empathy for them since they just killed Fennec. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also not really their fault. Yeah. They didn't ask for this existence. This is what they are compelled to do because mm-hmm. of what's been done to them. So, yeah, just just an interesting other perspective. It really illustrates how often the Capitol's preferred tools, preferred weapons are living things. Mm-hmm. Which goes 
back to the core of the Hunger Games, how Absolutely. it's all about manipulation, exploitation, and oppression. Yeah. But the last one I want to talk about is Finnick. Oh, Finnick. I know. <laughs> I didn't know he'd come up. Oh, shut up. But, like, I didn't want to talk about his POV because it's just so, so sad. sad. We usually have a spoiler warning. Should we have, like, a cry warning? I know. I I will uh, we we'll see what happens because when I was typing up my notes I was getting teary eyed so uh, Finnick is just the worst death of any character in any book or show or movie or anything ever like and there's some other bad ones but like Finnick is hands down the worst one for me mm-hmm. because he's such a caring person. And he also has suffered so greatly mm-hmm. that the combination of that and that, like, he was finally out for the first time, you know? Yeah, it's just, it's too much. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so let's, let's, let's talk about him. So I was thinking about really just his final moments that... He would be seeing probably peripherally all of these other people, you know, getting on the ladder Mm -hmm. before him and has probably looked around, looked up to to see the Katniss was, right? And thinking that even though there are still these creatures trying to kill him, trying to kill all of them, like, seeing that... Katniss is highest up on the ladders must have been at least a very small relief Mm. because with Katniss goes his hope that she'll end this and that she'll put an end to the person that caused him so much torment and obviously that isn't necessarily the kindest thought Mm -hmm. right if we're thinking about compassion grace forgiveness even though it is the most unlikely thing in the world of Panem for snow to show remorse or apologize or change or regret his actions that his actions for what he's done to other people not for things that have negatively impacted him mm-hmm. you know but the most gracious positioning would be to to hope that they can change still that like everybody is capable of of change to some degree yeah um and and wanting that for them even while despising them you know Mm -hmm. i can understand why he's not there (laughs) that's saying it from somebody who's not gone through anything like what he has so i do not judge him for that hope that she will kill him because not only would he he have that hope that that she'll make it she'll live she'll survive and and him and all of this but she's his friend yeah and out of anybody there currently i think she's the person he's closest to Mm -hmm. 
And so, yeah, maybe he had just a flash split second of relief seeing that she was was high enough up that maybe she'd be able to get out and then moments before he dies when Katniss shines the light down she saw him being attacked on the ladder I was just thinking about him even in that circumstance seeing that light shining down at him it it told him that he wasn't alone Mm -hmm. that someone was looking back for him somebody was acknowledging him somebody was thinking of him somebody was missing him in his last moments yeah instead of just dying in the dark uh with everyone else having clambered up understandably and and not looking back or not realizing before you were dead um that you were still down there you know fighting yeah and you know that's that's honestly more than a lot of people have in their final moments so even though it's really sad and even though i'm crying (laughs) about a fictional character currently um i don't know it's kind of as horrible as his death is as tragic like so tragic it's kind of a beautiful last thought that at least he wasn't alone and he wasn't alone with his other victors yeah yeah and i mean i i always saw katniss throwing the hollow down as an act of mercy as well absolutely Mm -hmm. and i'm sure finnick also understood it to be such Mm -hmm. that instead of the slower death of being killed by these mutts that he could be offered a quicker death and be given that by yeah his friend by someone who cares for him and by someone who you know whether he knows it or not is feeling for him and trying to understand as much about him and his life as she could in that moment yeah and i mean as as terrible as it is i think that there's something kind of beautiful about Phoenix's body not being able to be used by anything mm. ever again you yeah. know because they could have fished out his mangled corpse you know, they could have shown it. They could, you know, you just, you never know what's going to happen with these terrible people. Yeah. Um, if it's District 13 and the Rebels win, it could be like, look at what they've done to this beautiful young man. Yeah. And then if, if the Capitol wins, it's look at what he's become because of his treacherous actions Mm -hmm. you know and it's just like even even if it wasn't that even if it was just some sort of like open casket thing even if it was just however things work (laughs) at at this point with so many people dead are 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 there morgues in the capital that Mm -hmm. would take care of these things like i don't know you know and so it's just like no one gets to do anything with his body sure he's dead but like without 
it being something that he would have wanted to be done to his body, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I love that Katniss did it automatically without thinking of the consequences for herself, you Mm -hmm. know? That without the hollow, maybe they will die. But it was just she could not get to Finnick to save him. Mm -hmm. So she did the only thing she could. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Currently, Chris is rubbing my leg with a sad face. A sad, supportive face. I'm fine. It's a fictional character. I know this somewhere in my brain. (laughs) Now he's trying to touch my face now. (laughs) But we can seriously... For some reason, it's Fennec. Fennec's death is the worst thing I have read because... And I think part of it probably has to do with that I worked in anti-sex trafficking for so long. I don't know. It's worst. Yeah. (laughs) That he doesn't get to try to find more healing and happiness. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this chapter, like, I didn't even, like, I didn't underline anything. I <laughs> I have these little, <laughs> little emoji stickers that I put on, like, sometimes next to things, like, nothing. This chapter is blank, because I just, no, everything is too much levity, even with a crying sticker yeah. for the, the gravity of the situation, so. Yeah. But... Why don't we go into a happier <laughs> section, touch points? <laughs> I mean, in this chapter, yeah, it might actually be more uplifting. <laughs> we'll see. But just because of the deep lows of Phoenix's death. <laughs> That's okay. I won't be crying anymore. <laughs> um, so the touch points, if uh, you need a refresher, is just when we look at things that are happening in this chapter and find parallels of things that are happening in our world or things that have happened throughout history. So what do you have? So my first touch point is about how the Mutts kill a number of Avoxes and Peacekeepers on their way to Mm -hmm. the unit. This shows how little value Snow and the Capitol has, even for those that they rely on. Yeah. And this just reminded me of a book that I'm I'm currently reading for a class I'm teaching by Raj Patel and Jason Moore called A History of the World in Seven Cheap Things. And in it, Moore and Patel argue essentially that because of capitalism, the world has become more oppressive, more destructive, and all these other kinds of things through this process of cheapening and how the world globalized in ways that required and utilized labor that's as cheap as possible, food that's as cheap as possible, energy that's as cheap as possible, all in the pursuit of profit. And their final chapter is about the cheapening of lives Mm. and how some people's lives were, through all the other things they analyze, were valued less or not valued at all through the destructive labor practices, environmental practices, military practices, uh, imperialism, Mm. uh, gender inequality, uh, expectations of women and children to do certain kinds of unpaid labor, 
you know, dangerous labor, all these other kinds of things. And it's, it's something that continues to be a bedrock of our society today, how people are not only enslaved, but face horrible work conditions. They face fallout from weapons of war and how these things always disproportionately target those who are valued less by the people who have power, which typically are straight white men. So when you have the AIDS crisis, for example, queer people, sex workers, people in Africa, people in prison, people in prison, those who are dying from it were treated as if their lives didn't matter, as if this wasn't a issue that governments or officials need to engage with because it's just those people who are dying. Um, I mean, to, to this day, sure, they're working on things now, and they have been for a while, mm-hmm. right? But, like, look how fast we got the vaccines for COVID-19. Exactly. It's like we could have had them so, so much sooner, but people just didn't care. Or, or horrifically, some people saw it as a good thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, this chapter just made me think a lot about how lives are devalued clearly in the capital and how lives are devalued in capitalism and in imperialist, capitalist, patriarchal, racist society. Those things, yeah, continue to oppress many for the selfishness of a few Mm -hmm. because it's not just a uncaringness but it's a targeted cheapness of valuing people and exploiting them to gain as much profit or as much power as you can well i mean that is that is the foundation of capitalism right it is always going to value some people more than others Mm -hmm. based off of productivity and hierarchical structures Mm mm-hmm And it's always going to be driven for profit. Mm -hmm. Capitalism can't work in a paradigm that actually believes in equality and in shared humanity and community. It's about gaining as much wealth as you possibly can. Yeah. And it's about a few people being at the top and benefiting off of the work of the masses Mm -hmm. and... When you do that, then you are saying that the people who are doing the brunt of the work are worth less than you are. Exactly. At the top. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's no way around that. It's like, we could change it, but as the system stands, this is the, the crux. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so that's fun. Another touch point that also deals with the inequalities of our society was how the star squad was able to easily take out the peacekeeper squad that was coming after them and Mm -hmm. how that reminds me of the inequalities of war Mm -hmm. in our society what it reminded me of was stormtroopers from star wars who have very bad aim and all of them seem to dive quite easily despite their very uncomfortable armor that does nothing. I mean, there is a connection there yeah. because I was thinking about how for the last hundred years or so, 
I mean, more than that, really, if you look at imperialism, but certainly in our modern context, you think about the wars that have been fought in the post-Cold War era, powerful nations have better weapons, more training, and are just generally much better equipped in war arenas. There's no such thing as equal military fights or yeah. uh, anything of the like. This is not like, okay, so how much is your military budget? Mm -hmm. Well, we need these to be equal so that we are on equal footing. It's not like, oh, well, we both have swords. Although, to be fair, wasn't it Alexander the Great, his army, their spears were just longer, so it was easier for them to kill than the other people's and, like, to get past the shields. Interesting. I'd... <laughs> Possibly, yeah. That... <laughs> There's so, there something about that I learned in one of my classes. It was just like, ah, but if we make them a little bit longer, mm -hmm. they're more effective. But, like, you know, if you have the resources to do that or you're the first ones to think of it, then you have an advantage, right? Totally, yeah. But... When thinking about, like, the Star Squad in particular, it really kind of brought to mind this insidious idea that's really been kind of baked into our culture of how war stories often go, which is, like, based off of, like, American Special Forces squads. And this idea of a small squad that is particularly skilled, that is able to carry out missions you know, more effectively than the vast majority of the actual soldiers who are fighting. And that this is how battles are won and wars are won, is through these kinds of select squads that are just far and away more skilled or equipped or what have you and are able to do this. They're able to kill a bunch of stormtroopers. They're able to, mm -hmm. you know, even the Star Squad, you know, kill all the peacekeepers. At least there it's commented on. But... Yeah, it's just something that's so inherent in our storytelling, in part because it also helps build a narrative. If you go back and read Tolstoy's War and Peace, there are so many characters in that book that it's a more accurate understanding of how war occurs, mm. but it's also hard to keep track of, especially with all the Russian names. So, like, yeah. Having... Especially for you to keep track yeah, of. Yeah, for me, exactly. <laughs> but... So for a narrative to have a small group of people means that you can have stronger character stories and arcs and things like that. I get that. But I think that there is this connection to also the American military in particular that has this special forces mentality, this sending in a squad to kill Osama bin Laden or to try to get out the Iran hostages or, you know, these other kinds of operations that have happened throughout history uh, not to even mention the CIA and, and these other coups that we've talked about before on the podcast. But yeah, I just, I find it, it a story archetype that really leaves out the wider inequalities of military conflict mm -hmm. and also the actual co more common experiences of those who participate in them. And it's interesting seeing the Hunger Games utilize the same kind of archetype but again i at least there is the narrative that shows that these are issues you know that the mutts killing the peacekeepers before the star squad can finish them shows how these people are not just stormtroopers they're not just people to 
kill en masse and continue, they are undervalued by their own society as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, even the fact that they were sent in when the Mutts had already been sent in is just right? like, wow. <laughs> yeah, that's bad. Yeah. It's something that I would probably get challenge to an Agni Kai over (laughs) being like you can't do this you can't treat these people this way that's a reference to Avatar The Last Airbender if you aren't familiar and if you aren't I'm sorry for you and you you should uh, go watch that on Netflix currently because they do some great things yeah or buy the DVDs if you have the technology needed for that (laughs) well what are your touch points So the main one that I want to talk about came to mind because of what happens to the A-boxes. And that's the increased risk, harm, and and casualties of disabled people in Mm -hmm. war zones. In general, it's something that people haven't thought a lot about, including national and international bodies. Mm -hmm. And so... For the United Nations General Assembly of 2021, they had a special report on the rights of persons with disabilities, particularly talking about like along the peace conflict continuum. So not just in wars when they are dying or negatively impacted, but also invisibility even within the sphere of anything preventative, any type of in the peace process fascinating yeah so thinking mainly about how it disproportionately negatively impacts people and noting that there's an estimated 15 percent of any given population has disabilities i was looking at their report and one of the things that they were noting was that armed conflicts have dramatically changed since the end of world war ii And because of the greater urbanization that's happened since then, that has led to armed conflicts occurring more often in cities or densely populated areas. Mm. And that means civilians are being uniquely impacted. For example, if you have explosive weapons with broad destructive effects, that can completely halt essential or support services and destroy some of the infrastructure that supports or provides those things. Mm -hmm. Even when those services and the systems aren't directly targeted, it can just be part of the casualties of weapons. So when warfare and loss of life-sustaining services happens, populace is going to attempt to flee to find safety, food, water, shelter, you know, medical care. Yet for persons with disabilities, the collapse of any of those systems and services, you know, has a far greater impact and creates new barriers on top of the already existing ones. So those with physical disabilities can struggle to flee without assistance Mm -hmm. uh, and or devices like wheelchairs or crutches or hearing aids, etc. And... If somebody who has a disability is injured in the process 
of the ongoing conflict that is now on their doorstep or in the process of fleeing, like they are, that's adding a secondary disability onto what they're already trying to manage. Yeah. And conflicts in general can worsen poverty levels. And so that can worsen poverty for disabled people and their families, affecting the ability to meet obviously basic needs and also any type of assistance devices that help or rehabilitation and things like that Mm -hmm. human rights watch also had done documentation in several middle eastern countries as well as some african countries like not in northern africa since that can be considered middle east right looking at the impact armed conflict and crises has on children with disabilities and found that kids were at a greater risk during attacks, including the risk of abandonment Mm -hmm. because their families sometimes had to face split second decisions to either flee only with the family members who can flee easily or to remain behind to provide support and help to get out. And children who have visual hearing development or intellectual disabilities may not, or I mean, not even just children, but any person may not be able to hear or know about or understand what is happening. um, And wouldn't have the same access depending on, on what their disability is to access information about what's happening where it's happening how close it is to them and so yeah it just it puts people at a much greater risk which i mean do i ever expect there to be armed combat here in los angeles not really if that were to happen and we you know we had to run for our lives or something i would just die like i wouldn't be able to do that because i can't really run because of the shooting pain that goes down my spine because of my bones just going out of place so mm-hmm. it's a like thinking about that and like there are other people who have even less ability to even walk out you know so yeah i was just thinking about how terrible that is and it's really unfortunate that thus far it hasn't been talked about that much um, on the global stage but it is i'm glad it at least is starting to be addressed more and and in the report it it was really fascinating i didn't read the whole thing because it was it was long and a un report yeah (laughs) but you know they were also talking about like the difference in humanitarian and um criminal law mm. in terms of people with disabilities when we're talking about wars and conflicts and obviously it would be fascinating to read the you know the, the positive ways that they would also want to have people with disabilities engage in the room to discuss these things instead of just being talked about and, and not having a say yeah. or to put ideas out there as well yeah that is good you know it, it's the visibility of people with disabilities is something that is very much lagging behind. But, you know, you think about when the Universal Declaration of Human Rights was passed, it, it wasn't one of the protected categories. Mm-hmm. And so to see that that is becoming more 
discussed is uh, certainly a good thing because, yeah, it's something that will intersect with these other issues of war and poverty in such profound ways. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And the <laughs> another just very small one I wanted to touch on was well, the the woman that Katniss shoots. Yeah. This capital woman. Not not no, nothing serious like that's a that's a serious situation but nothing serious in terms of life and death and killing but it's just they're described as wearing a turquoise silk robe embroidered with exotic birds mm-hmm. and that was just sending my mind to this thing that just ugh, bothers me so much <laughs> is when people wear kimono Mm -hmm. as like loungewear and like bathrobes because that's that's not what a kimono is for Mm -hmm. like you know there are ones that traditionally have been worn around the house and stuff you caught a butt that's not a silk kimono those aren't just worn around the house and it is not a bathrobe Mm -hmm. and especially when people who are not Japanese are wearing these things. It just irks me to no end. And I'm like, is that what this is? <laughs> is this is what she's wearing? Not the, I, still not okay that she was just killed. But it also, to me, is highlighting the position this person has been in mm-hmm. of exploitation of others that have has resulted in this situation like still no i mean i'm a pacifist don't don't kill her but like you know uh yeah it was it was just an interesting moment to think about having compassion for this person who's just in their home someone bursts in and suddenly they're dead also seeing like the position they're in they're Mm -hmm. eating a sausage again this is meat which is a rarity um among people in the districts in general and then her hair and that it's adorned with these butterflies and then she's wearing this potentially culturally appropriated outfit you know it's Mm -hmm. just like it's showing the even in in a really sad moment that this is it's it's showing the disparity in resources lifestyle extravagance um and exploitation so yeah absolutely but why don't we move into our wonderments what are you wondering about i'm wondering about how the unit got onto the ladder and the order that they got onto that ladder oh my god that's mine too (gasps) well sort of but yeah I, i think that it's it's interesting that for example Peta was one of the people who went up first which i suppose if he's someone without a weapon that would make a bit of sense Mm-hmm. But, because it was Katniss, then either Peter or Cressida, I'm not sure, and then Gale. Was correct? was I thought someone was already up before Katniss was. I took it as as Katniss was one of the last to come up. No, I thought she, I thought it said that she looked down, and they were following her or something. Mm. But then she tried to go back down, and that's when she that's ran when she into, into Gale. Gale. Yeah, but either way, I think that yeah, for example. Castor and Pollux being separated mm-hmm. and what that would look like. And uh, 
for Holmes to stay behind. Oh, talk about, sorry, now I'm interrupting, but talk about disability and war, right? Mm-hmm. The only person that Pollux can communicate with easily is now dead yeah. in, in this whole team. And so he is in this situation where he cannot communicate with these other people that he's with and all of their lives are in so much danger. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I think that that's just something that uh, Katniss was so out of it that she didn't perceive any of that. And it makes me wonder how that was done logistically. Yeah, absolutely. I was wondering it about it a little bit more from the Finnick mm. perspective because surely he's faster than Cressida, Pollux, and Peta. Mm-hmm. And so was their order just the arbitrariness of chaos and luck of war, mm-hmm. you know, that one person makes it and the other person doesn't because they were, Closer you know, to 10 the centimeters yeah. over, you know, like, that's a real thing. Or could it have been because he tried to help Holmes or Castor, you know, we've been talking about how much Finnick has been aware of other people and what's going on and mm-hmm. like trying to revive Masala, putting him over his shoulder and running with him and fixing Peta's mask and, you know, mm-hmm. things like that. He is constantly helping other people or thinking of them and trying to help in situations. So could it have been that? Uh, or did he make the conscious choice because he was one of the best fighters mm-hmm. so that it could give others a better chance um, than if he was higher up on, on the ladder and out. Uh, so, yeah, we don't know. We yeah. can't know. But I definitely think of probably him and Holmes both saying, go ahead, like, go up there. We'll mm-hmm. cover you in some sense of it. Uh, or, yeah, trying to help each other out in those ways. But, you know, Castor was somewhere along the way. Yeah. Uh, and maybe he was well. telling Pollux to go. And Pollux, in that moment, couldn't argue mm-hmm. easily. Or and was so... it just the chaos of these things are coming exactly. and, like, just run? Yeah. <laughs> or Pollux was helping to trailblaze still to help them get out because he's mm-hmm. has that knowledge. Yeah. There's a lot of unanswered questions. I don't know which I, which interpretation I like best. I think I probably like best that it was just the randomness that no one can really make conscious choices about. That it's, yeah, just the chaos of bombs and machine guns and all of these things of war, in this case, Mott's, like, that you can't sit there and find the most strategic way out. Like, you're just running, you know? Yeah. Um, But... It's also nice to have characters have agency, too. Mm-hmm. But, like, it, I think it would feel nicer if they chose it rather than it just happened that way. Totally. Because of snow. <laughs> just happened because you released these mutts that you spent months constructing to yeah. do this. And how many resources. <gasps> oh, and, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It's like he's not spending it on other people. He had all of this stockpiled you Mm -hmm. know like there's so much they could have given the 
districts. They could have surrendered earlier and taken the hit yeah. to, to restructure society so that all of these other people wouldn't have to die. But no. Can't possibly. No. As Katniss notes, Snow cannot abide being made a fool of. Yeah. Yeah, he would rather all of the capital burn than them be more equitable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fun. <laughs> well, let's go into our intentions. Yeah, I think for me, it's wanting to learn from Katniss's vulnerability with PETA. Hmm. Because it's something that I, I don't think I do very often is like allow myself to be vulnerable, sometimes even with myself, but like <laughs> certainly with other people and to like tell them what I'd want or need from them. Uh, How you're really feeling. Yeah. That's something that, you know, she does in a way here that's really brave and that does help bring them closer and it does help PETA. Yeah, that's just something that I admire and would want to hopefully bring into my own life more. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I think mine is along similar lines, but like more on showing emotion Mm. because it's not something I do in a vulnerable way much, unlike even... While recording this episode, like, be crying at all in front of anyone is a pretty rare thing. Yeah. Me crying to a public of people I don't know, some of which I do, but others I have no idea, feels very uncomfortable for me. Mm. It's like, almost to the point where I kept in my mind wanting to stop to try to quote-unquote collect myself Mm. or feeling the desire to be like oh sorry but it's like what am i apologizing for i don't need to apologize for anything and there's nothing wrong with this this isn't weakness just because we grow up with toxic masculinity does not mean that I need to play into that, even if that is my inclination Mm. and has been since I was a child. Um, So I think it's to continue to, like, just be okay and lean into being with my emotions rather than, like, rather than wanting to perform something that isn't how I'm feeling or judging myself for not being a way that it's easier for me to feel comfortable being Mm -hmm. that's good good job already yeah thank you Mm -hmm. i know i'm like i kept being like oh should i should i stop talking and just start over i'm like no (laughs) don't do it it's fine it's fine (laughs) yeah it was very touching Oh, well, I'm glad. Uh, another reason I didn't want to have this episode since the beginning of the podcast, like uh, our read through of these books, because I'm just like, it's going to be so hard to talk about Finnick in like a way that's actually talking about him, you know, like yeah. in a way that's leaning into diving into the depth of what's happened here rather than just talking in a cursory way and moving on. Yeah. Which, which is why I was like, I don't want to choose Fennec 
for a POV, but I probably should. Yeah. <laughs> Which is why we have a more than an hour runtime. I know, one chapter, but you know what? <laughs> Finnick should have yeah. the space. We came back and just had so much to say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and now tonight... Maybe I'm going to have to go look up some fanfics where he was a little higher on that ladder. Yeah. If you have any good ones, please recommend them. Yes, please do. (laughs) Okay, well, that's going to wrap up this week's discussion. So what's happening next time on The Hunger Games? Well, we'll be moving on to Chapter 23, where Peta and Gail have a heart-to-heart. Oh. Hmm. Well, thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of Geek Between the Lines. You can find links to our website, our social media, and our Patreon in the episode description. We hope that you'll join us on Patreon so that you can get access to all the special content that we've made for our supporters. As a reminder, we've changed our Patreon setup, so now, no matter how much you pledge, you'll get access to all of the special content we make. And now is a great time to do that because we are taking votes for when we're going to have our live Zoom meeting discussing Mockingjay as well as the end of this read-through together. Mm -hmm. So you can do literally $1 a month and you still have say on when it will be and and you get to participate. So do it because it's going to be really great. The other two have been wonderful and oh now now we're coming to coming to the end yeah hope to see you there thanks again for listening and we'll see you next week until then geek geek out. out